Hoodoo plant mamas Get your soul fed And your spirit red This here in the trend I possess the power from way back when Back when folk was stripped from all of their kin So they had to find the magic within Ancestors and gather my herbs I conjure at my altar Hoodoo plant mamas Manifest growth and I release trauma. Child, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody ain't from the deep south, man. Everybody can have a culture like us. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode of our Writing the Spirit series. I am one of your hosts, Leah Nicole. And I'm Danny B. And today we are joined by Heslove. Um, And we're going to be talking about writing in the hoodoo tradition. But before we get into that, Danny B, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing pretty good. I, of course, it's spooky season, which I'm excited about. I feel like, honestly, spooky season starts in August. But you know what? I'm going to let y'all have it. But it's here. The weather um, is kind of aligned with it. It's been a lot cooler in Mississippi. Um, I've been listening to my scary story podcast. This is around the time of the year where I start. And I wanted to shout out two podcasts as like recommendations for y'all to check out. The first is the Black Women Are Scary podcast, which I think is fairly new. Um, I had been searching for like specifically Black horror story podcasts and some kind of way I came across this one and so far I've enjoyed the stories that I've heard. Um, so if you want to hear mostly black women, um, but I think they might have people of other genders, but I think it's mostly black women, horror stories written and narrated by black women. Um, you should check it out. And then the other one is the Moonlit Road podcast, which is like a Southern Gothic type one um, that I found a couple of years ago. They have a mix of stories, but there are a few Black stories that are read by Black narrators. There's one called Igbo Landing that's like a a ghost story based on that event. And then there's another one I wanted to mention from episode 12 called The Boo Hag, which is actually kind of funny. Um, And it's led by this, what sounds like Black woman and Black man. And the Boo Hag myth is like rooted in the Gullah culture. Um, It's like a legend, a spiritual legend about this, you know, evil spirit that rides your back, which I think Black people have. I think there's a range of like legends about basically sleep paralysis is actually like a witch or something riding your back. So it's kind of similar to that myth. And yeah, and there's some other stories that are inspired by Black folklore and legends. So yeah, check that out if you get a chance. Let me know what you think. Um, Yeah, that's my little spiel for my check-in I'm doing good and I wanted to recommend some cute scary story podcasts (laughs) yes thank you I have heard of the black women are scary I think it is a newer podcast um but yeah so uh for me recently I revisited my readings um from last year and I got two done um and it was just interesting to see kind of what has changed, like what kind of things that I were able to do, like work and money. Those are the big things I was worried about 
both in my reading and then after when they were like, quit your job and <laughs> don't work. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was surprising to see, like, I have been unemployed for almost a year now and I'm not in debt. So <laughs> look at God, you know, it was also interesting to see kind of the things that I'm still struggling with, like the guilt surrounding resting and taking breaks. Um, and I know like you recently released a newsletter where you're talking about being a resting writer. <laughs> and I definitely relate to that. I am trying to do things that um, make me feel good. And and that was also uh, part of the advice that I got from last year was to do more things that make me feel good. If something doesn't make me feel good, don't do it. And it, and I think the guilt that I have, a lot of it is dimmed in capitalism where it's like, you have to do more, you have to be more, you have to be here, there, there in order to make it. And if you slow down, you're going to fail and it's your fault you're going to fail. Um, yeah. And so it reminded me of the advice that I would always hear that's like, do something you've never done to go somewhere you've never been. And it always frustrated me because I was like, what have I not done? I've done everything. And the truth is I have not like sat still and done nothing. So that is something I'm still working on. That's something I'm still struggling with. So I'm just trying to sit still, take breaks <laughs> and do nothing. Um, but yeah, so another question I have that we can ask today because today is writing in the hoodoo tradition. So how is your writing going? Well, you got my newsletter and where I said, I am simply not writing. And, you know, that's not as literal as it sounds. I'm just not really concerned with the writing right now. I'm more concerned with letting ideas kind of just do what they do in my head right now. Um, I am, you know, there's things I have to revise, like with forthcoming publications and that kind of things, things that are already kind of done, but I have to get publication ready. Um, but right now I'm just kind of sitting with things. And I think when I'm finally, when I finally have that push to do some more writing, I think it's going to be good. But yeah, I'm mostly kind of in my meditation, resting ideas mode with my writing can I understand that so in July I did a very heavy revision of my manuscript and in August I got feedback um, from an editor Simon and Schuster she read the entire thing she gave me feedback on it and so I have been kind of sitting with that um because in July, when I finished, I wasn't completely satisfied with it. And for me, I'm not looking for like 100% satisfaction with it, maybe 90, <laughs> maybe 85. But I wasn't completely like, it just feels like something's missing. And I'm not sure what that is. Um, And so when I got her feedback about kind of reframing certain parts of it, I've been sitting and and thinking about how to do that. Um, it has been kind of frustrating. Like I have been working on this for, it will be two years in November and yeah, it, it's for me right now, I'm just trying to, to sit and just try to pace myself and try to make sure that like 
I do the things that need to be done in order to make me more comfortable with what I've written. Um, Because I feel like the story has a lot of potential. It can do a lot of, I think it can bring some people some, some comfort, some healing, some support, but yeah. I, I'm right now I'm just trying to figure out what it is I need to do to get it to the next level to make me more comfortable um with the decision to query it. No, that makes sense. I feel like we're both kinda I, I definitely don't have a book written, but <laughs> I think we're both in similar stages as far as sitting on products that are just kind of like in pro like not in progress as in we're still writing, writing, but baking, like they're just. Baking. Uh, I love that <laughs> analogy that you use. Yes. My cake is ready. It is resting. <laughs> I have not iced it yet. I'm still trying to figure out what flavor of icing I want to go on it, but yes. Yes. I was like, this is a reach. But so for people that don't know in my newsletter, I basically said that for me, writing is like baking a cake and when a cake first comes out, you're supposed to let it cool down before you start trying to put on the icing and cut it. And I have been that person in front of my grandma, um, trying to be helpful. And she's just like, girl, it just came out of the oven. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you putting the icing on? You need to just go and sit down somewhere. So (laughs) yeah, you got to let that thing cool off for a minute. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. I think that's what both of us are doing right now. So yeah. Um, well, let's get into some gratitude. What are you thankful for this week? I am thankful that we reached 10,000 downloads. I'm thankful to all of our listeners, all of our supporters, everyone who has recommended this podcast to your friends, to your family. Thank y'all. Like we got 10,000 downloads and we're not even a year old yet. Same. I feel like this podcast is one of the most it's like something that I'm most proud of right now that like, um, I think we all get into the thing where we feel like we should be further along in life and that kind of thing. But I'm really proud of this thing that we created together. Like, I'm like, no, we really created something beautiful and I'm just super thankful for all the people that it's impacting in whatever ways, um, whatever positive ways it is impacting them. And so, yeah, I'm super thankful that people are really listening to us and <laughs> enjoying it. So thank y'all. Yes, thank y'all. So before we get into this interview, uh, we wanted to share a few ways that you can support or continue to support our podcast. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. To monetarily support our podcast, you can join our Patreon. We have a $2 tier for those who want to give every month to show their support. And our $5 all-access tier includes monthly mini-sos, tarot readings, and plant content. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can give any amount you want on Cash App, Cash tag who do plant mamas or PayPal who do plant mamas at gmail.com. We also want to send a huge thank you to Julia, Andy, and LaParsha. 
I apologize if I pronounced anybody's name wrong, but thank you so much for your donations. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode, you can email us at hoodooplantmamas at gmail.com. We especially want to work with Black, Indigenous, and other POC-owned and queer-owned businesses. Um, But if you're a white business, want to support the work of two Black women, we'll take that too. Let's get back to the show. Well, thank you again, um, Hess, for speaking with us. Can you do a brief introduction of yourself, just like who you are, the work that you do, and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Thank y'all for having me. Um, my name is Hess. I go by Hess Love online. Hess is my real name, by the way, not like a social media handle. It's an ancestral name, too. I'm a hoodoo. I'm based in Baltimore, Maryland, but I was raised in, born and raised in Annapolis, and my focus is Chesapeake hoodoo, but I do like read about hoodoo in other regions, and part of, um, I think one of my proudest things that I'm proud of is the Chesapeake Conscious Society, and it's a like community-based like spiritual activism um, and kind of like spiritual intimacy type group that we do hold events, we look out for each other. We've done like Say Her Name Ancestral Elevation, we've done twerking the trees where it's about sacred sensuality and movement. Um, we've done ring shouts. Like we do a lot of work in the city just to like, give people a spiritual, a place to um, play with spiritual community. And I also write from time to time, sometimes <laughs> I host workshops. Um, and I, one of the things that I've done around writing is host workshops around, I'm writing in the hoodoo tradition, which has been one of my favorite things to do so far this is a quick question because I love that workshop I had to Mm -hmm. listen to it after the fact but are you still going to be offering those in the future because if so we just want to recommend it because I I loved it um I did too (laughs) yeah I'm thinking about offering sometime soon in the fall um, or probably like before the fall, maybe like sometime in August, we'll see how everything is shaking out. Cause that was last year and it went by really fast. I'm like, dang, that was almost a year ago, but I do plan on offering those again. Yeah. Well, let's get into some questions. <laughs> yes. I know you say you write a little, but that is what we wanted to focus on was your writing, your writing practice. Um, so the first time I came across your writing was your black breastfeeding poem that you wrote a few years ago. And the voice in that poem, for those who don't know, is a Black enslaved woman who is forced to be a wet nurse for white children. Um, So I'm wondering, in your poems, and your writings, do you ever feel like you're channeling your ancestors? Especially in poetry, especially in um, prose writing that's about telling a story and and holding history. And so the interesting thing about me, I do study history. And so the interesting thing about me is that whenever I'm like looking into something or researching something specific, it's because I get like an inkling, a feeling, a message about it. And then what my work is to do, like on my deal with the dead, is I find things to prove it. So I find research to prove this story or this message that they have given me um and like that poem kind of those words came to me and I wrote the poem for it and it really didn't feel like my words like it didn't feel like from me it didn't feel like it was me at all like that was definitely somebody else um and then afterwards um I was like aware of wet nursing but I didn't know 
about some of the most detrimental things that could have happened from it. And so then afterwards, I went back and researched and found that there were some instances where, you know, people were malnourished or what have you. And even though like popular history tells us, well, they took good care of the wet nurses because they had to sustain the child. I'm like, not always. Um, not always. There were some pretty like devastating results um, as a result of wet nursing too. Um, I have a follow up to that. So for anyone who's like interested and want to like channel messages through their writing, do you have any advice? My advice is to be open um, and to not deny like the random messages you get in your head. Sometimes we kind of like brush them off like, oh, that's just like an inner thought or whatever. And even if it does turn out to be um, like a, a inner voice that is of your own personal development or a critical voice or something else, at least write it down because then you can go back and look and see where it comes from. Um, also to be in a place where you feel the most able to receive messages. So for me personally, I'm someone that gets overwhelmed by sound a whole lot. Um, it overwhelms the heck out of me when there's too much of it in one spot. And so I receive the most messages when I am in a quiet, serene place. That's when I receive my messages. So if people are no, like know what makes them feel the most comfortable or what makes them feel like they're able to hold retain, um, information, retain information and what kind of environment that it's in, put themselves in that kind of environment and that kind of space. And you're kind of opening yourselves to be able to be open and to be relaxed and comfortable to get the messages that you could possibly get to. I love that question because it reminded me. So I'm reading Soul Talk by Kasha Gloria Hole. Um, that was a recommendation I saw on Twitter from Julia Mallory, who we also interviewed for this series. And, um, this author was able to interview Lucille and anybody who knows anything about Lucille, she, um, refers to herself as two head, a two headed woman. And I thought it was so funny that, um, her initial contact with her mother, who she, um, wrote poems, a series of poems through that contact was like playing the Ouija board with her two eldest daughters, um, which is what um, Akasha writes about. And I was like, that's so fascinating, but just like the ways that she also kind of channeled through, channeled her mother and channeled, talked about channeling other spirits in that way. So that's what that question reminded me of. I read um, these two essays you wrote on the medium, Raise the Break and Crab Cakes. And I was thinking about um, the, I was thinking about that in conversation with you, uh, your essay about ancestral veneration and how that kind of helped you navigate grief in particular ways. And so um, I was wondering like, how has writing in the hoodoo tradition helped you, that in particularly helped you navigate grief? I described it as like, it felt like, like ancestral offerings, like you were documenting a memory in that way. So anyway, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say, I love Julia Mallory. Um, they are divine. They are amazing. They are such a sweet spirit and they do write a lot of writing around grief. So I love the connection there. Um, and I, I want to read that. I have soul talk the book. I just haven't gotten around to reading it. So thank you for this reminder. For me, writing does feel like um, a way to process grief. And it also does feel like an offering. I remember telling somebody not even a few months ago, like, I think one of the reasons why writing is so challenging for me in terms of like, I feel very vulnerable around it or, um, like I kind of always challenge myself to try to be better, try to be better is because it feels like an ancestral offering. And I'm like, I want to give the best that I have in the moment. I want to cook up a good meal. I want to have the right words. I wanted to really speak to my heart um, and from my heart to my people. And so 
it has like writing has been an outlet for grief um one of the ways that I became more intentional about Hootie was because I was processing the grief from losing my grandmother, from losing my mother, from being a mother and not having any mothers around to kind of like tap on, to cry, whose shoulders I can cry on for a place. I didn't have a place of comfort for me, but my children had one and like that kind of had this deficit. And so I was grieving a lot of things. People, I was grieving ability. I was grieving like emotional spaces and I was able to kind of create like a cradle for myself through writing. Um, and after that, able to like really process those grief and that stories. And it is a way to hold memory. It is a way to remember. Um, in my divinations, I get a lot about writing. Like they be like, stop running. Stop. Where you going? I, wh wh why are you running? <laughs> why are you running? <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know. But like, I get a lot about writing in my divinations. Like you need to write it out. So I know it's a I know it's a spiritual thing. I know it's an ancestral thing for me. And even for people who don't always get those in their divinations, like it's an outlet, you know, it's a recording of memory. And especially when we think about the history of Black folks in this country, we were not always given the privilege to be able to record our memory and our thoughts and our fears and our emotions through writing. Um, so a lot of us were even denied the ability to read, let alone write. So I think it's uh, it's also like a form of resistance within a form of like ancestral offering and also giving yourself kind of a catharsis um, that you can work through and process and look back at and kind of compare it to where you're at now, where you've been at then too. Yes, I'm so glad you said that. Um, last year I was at Vona and Willie Perdomo, he's a poet. He said the same thing, like our ancestors have always been barred from reading and writing. And so if we have that inkling, it's probably, you know, some kind of gift that we have and something that we should pursue seriously. So I was very grateful that he said that. And also that like our stories are important because I know a lot of times when we got into the world, we don't see them reflected. So we kind of feel like, you know, it doesn't matter. But anyway, something that I wanted to talk about um, was this thing that you tweeted months ago and I loved it. It was a thread about fat phobia in the spiritual and alternative medicine spaces. Um, so you tweeted, the biggest thing that fat phobia in spiritual and alternative medicine communities tells people is that if they're fat, they're unworthy, even on a divine level or even as view viewed by the earth. That is untrue and it's a byproduct of colonialism and whiteness as religion. So yes, retweet. Um, <laughs> but also I wanted to talk more um, particularly about how spiritual spaces are not 100% safe, mainly because they tend to replicate these systems of oppression that we see. So if you could talk more maybe about fat phobia or about that, I would love it. Yeah, I um, this ties into a response I was gonna have in terms of like being able to like have our own narrative is very important. And a lot of people utilize spirituality to once again impose a narrative on somebody about something and that narrative coming from whiteness or coming from anti-blackness and fat phobia and queer phobia. Um, spiritual spaces are not always safe because they have humans in them. And you know, the thing about like the human condition as we understand it right now is that we are very susceptible to, you know, certain programming and being dedicated to that for the rest of our lives. We're very susceptible to having certain prejudices, prejudices and being, you know, dedicated to that. And so people do not always completely unpack 
those things when they go into um, spiritual spaces. And the one thing on one hand, we know that perfection or having a perfect politic is not required of you to, you know, start your journey on ancestral um traditions at all so it's not required on the other hand it's like but what balances do those things bring right when people kind of you know they have a lot of like ill-conceived notions not really of their own giving I don't think anyone's born with the idea that people are lesser but they're taught those things and they haven't done the work to unravel them and so they're not always safe um and even when we look at spiritual leadership, like spiritual leaders can have their own issues that they are grappling with. They can have their own ways that they are unkind to themselves that slips onto other people. They can have their own egotism. They can have their own issues with colorism. Um, they can have a lot of stuff. And so like leadership too um, could be part of the reason why these spaces are unsafe and the way that people just kind of latch on to a spiritual leader because they're looking for them as like a gateway or a doorway to their own salvation or to their own connection and so you get people who are enabling these people not not a hundred percent because they see you as unworthy but because they're more dedicated to you know believing that this person is a key to their own spiritual liberation and you know it's like a false thing um so with spiritual spaces like i think the best way to kind of navigate that with a lot of discernment, like a whole lot of discernment, and also being committed to unpacking a lot of things, like not just feeling like I've arrived because I, you know, am in an ancestral tradition, so I have nothing to unpack, but really being committed to how can I wake up and love people better, love the earth better, what things, do, what, you know, untrue or unkind or inhumane things have I learned that I need to, like, let go of, like, liberating your mind and decolonizing it is a spiritual practice. And I think a lot of people forget that because they're so focused on, you know, spiritual bypassing and using spirituality to not address things and um, using spirituality to say, well, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not, it's, this disrupts my spirit. I'm not going to talk about it. They're using spirituality <laughs> as a way to like get out of doing a very necessary work. And that's one of the things that, you know, propagates why spiritual spaces are not always safe. Yes. Amen. I did have a follow-up to that. So I have also noticed this kind of like, how some people want a leader and so I'm trying to figure out like what advice do you have for someone who kind of wants more information but kind of want to stay clear of like the people who prop themselves up as leaders in spiritual communities I think the biggest advice I could offer is to know that even when you're looking for someone to give you more information and they may in fact be knowledgeable and they may in fact be loved or even liked or connected or have proximity to people you think are cool it's the first always acknowledge that they're human and so to come in expecting that there's going to be some flaws there's going to be some mashups of ideologies there's going to be some conflict because they are a completely different person from you and then when you kind of go in knowing that hey this person is human as I they have issues as I you're able to give that space and you know then understand like hey what's a genuine human issue that they can grow and I can see that they're trying to grow from it versus hey this person really ain't shit <laughs> you know and I think a lot of people um 
they set themselves up for ancient people because they're going looking for perfection they're going looking to agree with something everything someone does um and they're going looking in for someone to be their gateway to spirituality their gateway to the ancestors that gateway to the creator to creation and the earth and you don't need no gateways for that besides your damn self so i think understanding that first and foremost is important the thing that people need a gateway to is the communities that you know have been created or revolve around a certain cosmology cosmology or a politic or a tradition of understanding the earth and your ancestors like that is where you use people as a gateway but really just go out to go out and connect you don't need a gateway to that at all and so first like the first thing to do um, and to be privy to when looking for a spiritual leader is not giving your power away you know, like being mindful and always understanding, like, yes, you will have things you need to unpack. And yes, you may have times where you need to be checked lovingly or held account accountable lovingly, but you can still be held accountable. You can still be checked without giving your power away. And so that's another thing to bring into it. I think the other one is if something disrupts your spirit and you're like, hey, I'm not vibing with this just to like, you can exit if it doesn't resolve itself or if you try to resolve it, it doesn't move. And sometimes people will disrupt your spirit and they're not even a bad person. They're just not for you. And sometimes stuff will disrupt your spirit and you're like, Ooh, and it turns out they really, mm, I'm not going to call them bad, but they really had some shit with them um, that they really need to let go of because it's causing harm. And so I think, you know, not at the first sign, but if you're kind of watching and observing and looking around and like someone's issues you're not watching any growth or evolution for them they're the same person day in day out for years for months like that's when you can be like okay take a step back this might not be the person for me I'm gonna look elsewhere and also um, the last part I'll say is to be open to unlikely teachers because sometimes your teacher may not take upon a certain aesthetic or a certain look or be in the places where you may um, look for them for or they might even might not even be someone of the tradition that you're looking for but part of your ancestral and spiritual calling is a certain work is a certain purpose and so your teacher is a person who can help you step into your purpose or to your work and your craft and that in a way is spiritual too I was over here about to holler amen because I was I feel like I struggled with that a lot when I found myself being drawn to my ancestors through different channels. And I now I notice even in my family members, like my daddy, who is not a religious person, he like don't believe in spirits, but he'll say things. And I'm like, oh, you know, very unlikely teacher. But <laughs> so I'm so glad you said that. So I was literally just talking to um, Leah about this. And I think another friend about how like, um, oh, I really want to like write about black uh, literature as like spiritual archives when it comes to hoodoo. Um, and you talked about this in Race Bader um, too, when you were writing about, um, it was an article on ATRs and how black people have always done, you know, hoodoo in these different ways. And you talked about Black artists, how they incorporate ATRs, have been incorporating it into their creative work. And I think you mentioned Basquiat, who I obviously was introduced to later because I wasn't born when um, he was doing art. But I have bought things with his art depicted and I was like, whoa, you know. <laughs> um, so how this has been happening long before Beyonce like broke the Internet with Lemonade. And so besides Zora Neale Hurston and of course, Toni Morrison, um, who I think are pretty like most people, if they've been look, like paying attention, they have a lot of like hoodoo and spirituality in their work. Um, what other black literary writers have like, 
have you found influential and as far as like having a lot of hoodoo or depictions of ATRs or different things in their work that you could like mention and talk about a little bit? Yes. Um, and also I want to thank y'all for being so graceful for hearing all the sights and sound of Baltimore City in the background <laughs> while my Wi-Fi is acting weird. Um, a couple of people. So one person that comes to mind, I think her name is Tina Elsa McElroy. I could be messing this up, but the name of one of her books is called Baby of the Family, um, The Hand I Fan With, You Know Better. And if you look at the art of those books, your mama, your auntie, them might have had those books because my grandma did. And I swear I saw those books everywhere growing up, but I had no idea. Um, and in a lot of those books, she talks about a lot of spiritualism um, and a lot of things that when you looking for a name for it, that's hoodoo. Um, there's another person, Bertrice Berry in particular, she's a sociologist. She wrote a couple of things, um, including The Haunting of Hip Hop, which is like a fiction book about how um, Black people in the U.S. Were re, uh, had the drums reintroduced to us and how like the ancestors were feeling that we were not, we were not using the the reintroduction or our rekindling with the drums in the best way through hip hop too. Um, and it was like very ancestral and she, like she be talking about a lot of spiritual stuff. People be sleeping on her real heavy. Um, there's a couple of other people. So I believe his name is Theophis C. Harold, um, but he has this book called Conjuring Culture. Um, that's really, really good. Uh, there's also, oh goodness, there's so many other writers that have like written about spirituality. Um, I think Alexis Pauline Gums is someone who offers so much softness and so much imagery of the water. And I'm like, go ahead, water baby. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you are. <laughs> and like, I love her poetry so much. I love her writing so much. Um, goodness gracious, I feel like I'm drawing a blank. I mean, as soon as I get off the thing, I'm like, yep, that person, that person, that person too. Um, but there are so many. And I believe that most black writers especially most black poets um in general because i do believe like blackness is inherently spiritual and i do believe that we carry that in our work whether we admit it or not whether we want to see it or not too and so there are even um other people like langston hughes um other people like angela davis you know lots of other people who do have those elements of spirituality in their writing too um and it's not always pinned is like overtly spiritual but it is uh, there's one person he's his writing to me I would describe it as kind of experimental but his name is Ishmael Reed he wrote the um mumbo jumbo he wrote conjures like a poetry pamphlet and inside of it it's the neo-hoodoo manifesto which is the name of one of my playlists um and he writes a lot and it has those heavy overt like spiritual you know, elements in there. He actually says hoodoo in his work too. He actually says the names of different Orishas and everything in his work too. But I believe that honestly, um, I can name so many people and they would have the, their work would have spiritual elements in it. But honestly, if you look at different Black writers and what they're offering, you could find something spiritual in there if you really have the heart to see it. That is so true. Like, first of all, let me say I hate school, but one of the things that has made it fun if I'm in like a literature class is that I see all this hoodoo and like I don't even want to bring it up because I'm like these white people don't know what I'm talking about I think I in one of my response papers I actually cited you to like this is what hoodoo is and <laughs> I, my professor was so shook like oh da 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 um but let me read this paper though I'm oh like, my gosh it's I, 
I don't even think I have a copy of it. It was like for a discussion board, but we had to write it as if it was a, a paper. Um, I'll see if I can find it though. I just, I just mentioned like, oh, this is what Hoodoo is and this is how I saw it show up in the work, but I'll see if I can find it. But I was going to ask you, have you read Big Mama Stories by Shay Youngblood? I haven't. I mean, I, I'm intrigued though. Like actually, oh. Big I need to. So school me, please, please. Oh my, well, so I read this for, um, it was a queer South literature, whatever class. And that was one of the books that came up and it was so much. One of the things I loved about it was that some of the ATR used in it, ATRs that were like, I think a bill was mentioned. Um, it was vengeful. And I know that's like people like, but I love seeing black people use um their traditions to get back at white people and that's what she did with some of those stories um particularly the woman that practiced obia um yeah they were they got humiliated by this white cop and then she she was on the in the ditch while they were getting humiliated praying and then you know the the person who called the cop they ran into a semi-truck as soon as they pulled off like it was, I know that sounds so bad. Like I probably sound like a bad person, but I'm sorry. No, like I no. love, I want people to pay. <laughs> you know, that, it is not, um, one of my good friends, the name is Osanis, like helped me unravel this and unpack this years ago. Like it is not bad to want justice and it is not bad to equalize those energies because like energy can't be destroyed it can't be sent back and I mean honestly the truth is like even when when black folks do use quote-unquote vengeful energy against white folks ain't nothing but more but the reversal white people did it first we ain't just out here doing stuff to them first like we just sending their stuff right back to them so if homie got hit by a, a semi-truck or a Mac whatever that was just one hell of a powerful ass reversal and they started it first <laughs> so can I add, um, so there's this liberation theologist, Paulo Freire, who said the exact same thing, like the oppressed cannot uh, do violence to the oppressor. They're just responding to that initial oppression or that initial violence. So yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Um, Cause I'm, I'm just not the person that be like, yeah, pray for your enemies. I, I don't want good stuff to happen to you when you harm <laughs> black people, but <laughs> Um, understandable. <laughs> but I'm honest, be honest, we here, we here. We <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, before we like wrap up or anything, I didn't know if Leah had any other questions or if you had any final thoughts, um, Hess, on everything we discussed and that kind of thing. I, I'm just super thankful for everything you gave us. So yeah, if you have any final thoughts or, um, I did want to say that. When I did your um, writing in the hoodoo tradition workshop, I really loved how you talked about us being a spirit and the need for us to take care of ourselves. I remember for the workshop, you said to bring water and a candle, and then you were like, the water's for you. I'm like, oh my God, for me. <laughs> but yes, I really loved it. And then you talked about that uh, a few questions back where you were like, oh, we are our first guide and it's kind of like, we can listen to people on the outside, but we need to listen to ourselves as well. So I just wanted to add that. I really love that. You bring back the class. Yeah, that makes my heart so happy. Um, I'm glad that like 
it, it hits you in a good place, but in a soft way, um, I'm really happy. Um, my final thoughts were when you um, when you brought up Obia, I was like, oh, one more book. I think his name is James Marlin. Um, wrote the Book of Night Women that has so many Obia elements in that. And I'm like, yeah, that's one of my, one of my favorite books, actually. So I want to mention that. And the other part is like thinking about the overall like theme of this episode about writing in the hoodoo tradition. Like my biggest advice to Black people who are going to write about hoodoo or like hoodoo propels them in their writing is to write about it, um, write about it and yourself and Black people as living things because we are. Like a lot of times people talk about hoodoo as this thing that happened in the past, as this thing that only happens in alternative universes, as this thing that only happens in a certain place in time, in the 20s or the 1800s or whatever. And one of the biggest things that you can do for hoodoo, especially while we're in this deep process and this deep moment of reclaiming the spirituality and breathing more life into it, is to write about it like it's living because it very much is, is to write about it like it's breathing because it very much is, is to write about it like it is made of blood and bones and spit because it very much is. And so that's my biggest advice is to write about us and as black people and write about black things as live things because we very much are. So Leah, what are you still holding on to from this beautiful interview with Hess? Uh, there was so much that has so much wisdom that has dropped in such a short amount of time. Um, and I'm very grateful that they decided to speak with us. So their writing process reminded me a lot of Dolores Kendricks, um, who was someone that we referenced in our intro to this series, um, the writing, the spirit series. And so I know has said that their background is in history. So not only are they like the rest of us who have these stories that come to us, they do the extra step of researching those stories. And I think like that sort of dedication to, to documenting, to showing, to displaying these stories, I think that's very beautiful. Yes, for sure. Um, Two, two things I enjoyed. I love the discussion of recognizing the humanity of spiritual leaders we look to, especially with social media. Um, Hess made a really important point about like people are human, they're flawed. Not everything they say is going to resonate with you. That doesn't mean that they're a bad person or they're wrong. Um, I think it kind of goes into the ancestors first strategy. I, I think we should always start and end with our ancestors. So yeah. And then um, also the comment about being open to unlikely cheap teachers when it comes to hoodoo and other Black spiritual traditions. Um, I think this is in conversation with our entire series. Um, I think so much of Black literature can double for like sort of <laughs> hoodoo Bibles or sacred spiritual texts that we can learn from and use on our journeys. So yeah, I just, so much wisdom. Um that they offered us. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought it up about the spiritual leaders. Cause I think that segment is that segment that they were talking about is so important. Like so many people, they start the spiritual journey. They find someone who resonates with them and they idolize them to the point where if someone says something wrong or harmful or violent. It's like, oh, they're the spiritual leader. They're not 
a bad person, whatever they have to say, it's the law, whatever. But it's like, no, we are all human. Um, And just like this person has these sorts of gifts and stuff, you have spiritual gifts too. And maybe if you spent more time cultivating that, (laughs) you could better discern how to navigate um, a lot of these spiritual leaders because yes, they are human. Yes, they may also have spiritual gifts, but and not everyone cares about your well-being. So definitely mm. discernment is needed um, yes. in these traditions. I agree. Um, I think this is probably going to be an ongoing thing for this podcast because I think we just, with any kind of religion, spiritual practice, there is always a um, something in us is obsessed with, obsessed with needing someone to guide us, someone else to take us to our next step. And yes, mentors, godparents, all of these things are important, but I think we can get a little bit too overly dependent. And again, like you said, idolizing humans is, idolizing people is very dehumanizing. Like you got to make space for your um, faves to disappoint you or for you to sometimes not agree with their take on something. And that doesn't take away um, the good that they've done for you and the in the education that they've um, led you to. So, and I also think it's important to know like when to walk away from someone. Um, and you can be grateful for all of the wisdom and information they gave you, but if someone is just to the point where they are putting out more harm than good, it's okay to walk away. Mm-hmm. For sure, this is actually a writing prop that I saw on Twitter and I thought it was really cool. So I wanted to end uh, with this because like you said earlier, we are headed into fall. And although you say spooky season is in August, I say like September 20th, whenever (laughs) fall hits, (laughs) it's spooky season for me. But um, go to a cemetery, wrap your head. Don't be like me. Um, Find a gravestone that you feel called to and research and write a story about that person's life. So, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do in the next few weeks. Sounds really fun. I ain't even going to lie because I ain't doing that. <laughs> I'm scared to go to the... <laughs> I'm but... going in the morning, in the daytime. <laughs> okay. So, if you feel called, if you want to go to the cemetery, you should do that. That's no shade. I, but I will say, as part of this prompt... I came across an ancestor, um, actually a, an enslaved woman from Baltimore who was enslaved in Baltimore, Martha Ann Patty Adivis, on Instagram, on somebody's page. And I couldn't make myself delete the um, the tab. I was like, why can't I, why am I feeling weird about deleting this tab? And I went and did some reading. I always go and read and like look it up because sometimes those IG pages, they be added in extra details that aren't true. And it's like, you literally don't have to do that. It, <laughs> it, it can be derailing, like honor this person and be truthful. And so something so curious about her photo. Um, so yeah, I think as part of that, with this information I have, I'll just do some, some deeper digging and then write a story about that. But I'm too scared to go to the cemetery. Listen, we done talked about this before. Me and cemeteries, weird energy. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I love this prompt. Like, this is actually a fucking cool, cool ass prompt. So, yes, wrap your head. Yes, don't be like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, well, if you like this episode, you can like, rate, and review us, Who Do Plant Mamas on Apple Podcasts. If anything from the show with you um, resonated, make sure to sh- share it with us on social media. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. Stay tuned for the next episode. We'll talk to y'all soon. Bye, y'all. Bye.